This morning, we are in Joshua chapter 10. Uh, I want to talk today about uh, sun stopping. Now, before we actually uh, get into the details of the text, um, this passage really is about uh, what to do when you fail. This is really not about geography and geology and uh, astronomy. This is really about failure and human failure, and uh, we all face that. We all face difficulties, uh, and then what do we do when we have failed? And so if you would please just take a minute and let's just calm our hearts before the Lord and ask that he would uh, speak to us today through his word. Our Father, we uh, come before you. Uh, We are flawed vessels. Uh, We know that uh, Christianity is a, a redemptive faith, that you wanted to salvage Uh, what was terribly lost and heal the brokenness of flawed people and make strong those who were, in fact, quite weak. And, uh, Father, we come before you, and I come before you in behalf of all who have walked through these doors today uh, who struggle with their past failures and their decision-making and their um, current state of affairs because they were living out the mistakes uh, of uh, bygone decisions. Father, we've all gone astray. We've each one um, uh, turned away and uh, you laid on Christ the iniquity of us all, for which we're thankful. We pray that you would help us to understand the magnitude of your amazing grace and uh, that we would uh, be healed today of past sins and past error and clearly poor decision-making, unconsulted, Uh, unilateral decision-making by us, and we pray that you would heal each and every one here this morning, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. What do we do with clear and foolish failure? Um, When we look at this passage, uh, it's all very military Uh, So let's just take a look at it, and then we'll ask ourselves what I think are some of the real deeper questions. Uh, Joshua chapter 10, beginning in verse 12. I'm going to come in in the middle of the story, and then we're going to backtrack, okay? Verse 12 of Joshua chapter 10, then the Lord spoke to the, I'm sorry, then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ailon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the people had revenge upon their enemies. 
Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or afterward that the Lord heeded the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. What is this story about? I mean, I'm sure it was an amazing thing. Can you imagine the people all over the world? You know, they're looking up. I'm getting kind of tired. Don't you think it's about six o'clock? How come the sun is still right there? Right, about 18 hours later, I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on, but uh, we've had daylight an awful long time. What's behind this story? Is this really about uh, a military general uh, uh, who was chasing his enemies and the sun stopped? The reality here is that uh, Joshua had been called up from the valley to the hill country by Gibeonites. Now, the Gibeonites were people who lived up in the mountains with the other Amorite tribes, Hittites, Jebusites. They were called Hivites. Uh, You had these seven Canaanite, what are sometimes called Amorite tribes. They lived up in the mountains, and the Lord had said specifically that they were not supposed to make treaties with any of them, that they were supposed to go in and annihilate them all because the land was vomiting them out because they had a pantheon of gods. They sacrificed children. They had fertility rituals. They had all kinds of vile and detestable uh, practices that, were ev- that are also evidenced outside the Bible in, uh, in text that are not biblical about how horrific the things were, were within the um, country of Israel. Now, many people, when they read the Bible, they say God is a God of war and, and uh, all this killing and what's that all about? Um, Well, when you do a little bit of study, these people were quite uh, treacherous and quite uh, 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 filled with all kinds of immorality. In in the book of Leviticus, in the 18th chapter of the book of Leviticus, it goes down a whole series of vile and detestable things that were taking place in the environment. And this is what we read in Leviticus chapter 18, you shall therefore, verse 20, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of you, any of your own nation, nor any stranger that sojourneth among you. For all these abominations have the men of the land done, which were before you, and the land is defiled that the land spew, vomit you, not vomit you out also when you defile it as it vomited out the nations that were before you. You have to understand that these Canaanite tribes were filled with all 
kinds of immorality. And if you want to read about it, you're welcome to do that. It's probably not even appropriate here on a Sunday morning. Uh, Leviticus chapter 18, that is the reality. Now, unfortunately, Joshua, when he got into the land, he had the Ai incident where Achan had buried something. They had the Jericho incident, there was great victory. Then you had the Achan thing where they went up to Ai and they thought they could defeat it with a few thousand people. And they got chased back down into the valley because there was sin in the camp. So Achan and his family was punished And then they went up and defeated Ai. The whole people gathered. They went up into the hill country at that point to Mount Ebal and Gerasim and had a worship service, one of the biggest worship services in the Old Testament. It's in Joshua chapter uh, uh, 9. And and if you you look at the... uh, I'm sorry, in Joshua chapter... uh, Eight, verse 35, there was not a word of all that Moses had commandment, commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. They were, had been commanded that when they got up into the land, they were supposed to read the whole law, every word of it. And so that's what Joshua did. He went up into uh, the... Uh, a a pre-designated place. There are two mountains. You can still go there today. It's in Samaria, the Samaritan hill country. And you you can go up there and watch Samaritans still thousands of years later, just like the woman at the well. They live there. Joshua brought up the people and they had a worship service and they read every word of Moses, which was, don't make a treaty with the inhabitants of the land because the land will vomit you out just like it will vomit them out because they have defiled it with all kinds of sin. You think that maybe after a great Bible conference like that, that Joshua would probably have gone back filled with the Spirit of God and not made mistakes. Unfortunately, when you read uh, the text, when you get into chapter 9, these Gibeonites, they saw what the Israelites were doing to everyone and that they were not going to be able to stand up to the power and might of Israel. So they said, we'll work smarter, not harder. And they dressed up They had some emissaries dressed up in old clothes and take old wineskins and use old shoes and dirty clothes and make it look like they'd come from a long way off. In actuality, the Hittites were probably migratory peoples that came from either from Greece, part of Greek migrations, or uh, maybe up by Turkey, and they'd come down, so they were actually foreigners, but they made themselves look like they lived a real far, uh, a long ways away, and it was only about 15 miles they lived. And so they made... uh, Uh, And they approached Joshua and the other elders of Israel and said, hey, listen, we've heard about your fame, and if you ever get up where we live, which is a long way off, we want to have peace with you. We don't want you to hurt us or kill us because we know that your God is the true God, and we want to have a treaty with you. So that's what happens. And the scriptures say, 
in a very small phrase, Joshua and the people of Israel did not consult the Lord. They didn't consult. They made a decision hastily and didn't talk to God about it. Well, a few days later, they find out that the Gibeonites, they don't live a far way off. They only live 15 miles away, one day's journey. In fact, they live right in the middle of the hill country, four cities, these Hivites, amongst the other ites of Canaan, that the children of Israel had made a treaty with them that would not be broken. Now, sometimes we make decisions in our life that aren't good for us, and they're maybe good for somebody else, but usually they're based on the fact that we did not consult the Lord. Um, You ever made any decisions like that? Have you ever... um, taken a job that you weren't supposed to take? Uh, have you ever married the person that you weren't supposed to marry? Um, I'm, I'm not going to um, sugarcoat it. I'm not one of these people that said, if you're married to her, that's the one that God wanted you to marry. Nope. If you married her and she wasn't the right one, you made a mistake. But that doesn't mean that you're going to add divorce on top of your other mistake, and we're going to talk about the remedies to bad choices. Okay, did you ever go to a, to a school that you should never have gone to? Did you ever make friends with somebody that you should never have made friends with? Did you ever have a business arrangement, a contractual business arrangement, and go into partnership with somebody that you should never go into partnership with? Did you ever join a church that you shouldn't have joined? Uh, Did you ever go someplace in your car that you never should have gone? Folks, we have our past that's littered with errors. And don't think that just because you're an elder in this church or a leader in this church or a pastor in this church that you're not subject to the same mistakes that Joshua made. Administrator of a school, teacher of a school, worship leader. It doesn't matter who you are. In fact, you could come out from a Bible conference at Mount Ebal and Gerizim where you read every word of the law of Moses and then turn around and make the biggest mistake of your life. What happens is we, we have this spiritual pride well up in, within us and we forget the very words that we had just read. We, we might have read the word of God and it tells us not to do this, and yet we do it anyway, and then we end up, like Israel, with a 400-year-old problem. This problem of Gibeonites living in the midst of Israel, it doesn't go away for the next 400 years. In fact, when Saul wants to bring revenge on the Gibeonites 300 years later, the Lord punishes Israel for Saul's compromise because he didn't keep his word that Joshua had made with the children of Gibeon. But, thankfully, God is a God of mercy. Amen? Thankfully, God is a God of faithfulness. We sang this morning, great is thy faithfulness. Is God faithful to us? We also sang, um, uh, how great thou art. 
we also sang, um, his love never fails. It never gives up. It never gives out on me. Folks, however big your litter pile is and your dump where you've dumped all your garbage from the bad choices, don't you think that God can't plant some trees on top of it? Now, I want to look at this text in a totally different way uh, than maybe you're used to looking at it. We come to chapter 10 knowing this history that the greatest general of Israel, probably even greater than David, but maybe not, certainly as great as David, at a critical juncture in the life of the children of Israel, he comes and he makes this terrible mistake, and then you have this passage in chapter 10, and this is the way it begins. Now it came to pass when uh, Adonai Tzedek, king of Jerusalem, by the way, that means uh, my Lord is righteous. Uh, guess what? <clears throat> His Lord wasn't righteous. Um, king of Jerusalem heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it as he had done to Jericho and its king. <clears throat> so he had done to Ai and its king and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. They that that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities and because it was greater than Ai and all its men were mighty. Therefore, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhiah, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with all the children of Israel." Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem and the king of Hebron, the king of Yarmouth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon gathered together and went up, and they and all their armies encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal, saying, <clears throat> Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us, for all the king, kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horn, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Machadah. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horn that the Lord cast large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord, Uh, in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel and said in the sight of all, sight of Israel, sun stand still over Gibeon. My friends, sometimes we end up in relationships with people that we have no business being with. 
We should have never made a treaty with them. We should have never covenanted with them. We should have never married them. We should have never started a business with them. We should have never admitted them in the Christian school. We shouldn't have let them in the church. We shouldn't have moved in next to them. We shouldn't have done whatever. And they're there in our lives. And it's our own fault. It's not their fault. It's your fault. It's my fault. Nobody made that decision but you. Nobody made that decision but me. But now that we're in it, God says, what are you going to do about it? You've made that commitment. You've covenanted yourself. Are you going to back out of that? God says, no. Not only are you not going to back out of it, they have problems, and their problems are now your problems. The Gibeonites are being attacked by all the other Canaanites because they made a treaty with Israel, and then they, who do they turn to? Israel. Now, this is what we do. She made her bed. She can lie in it. Because I ain't doing nothing to help her. I'm sick and tired of him. I'm, I'm just so fed up. I'm not going to put up with this anymore. That child in that school, why did I ever admit them? I should have never let them through the door. Now, look, at they're stirring up trouble. Right? Are you like that? I mean, I hear this a lot in my life. If you listen carefully, the people at work, your neighbors, that's tough luck on them. You know, and then when it comes to like, you turn on the news, <clears throat> oh, all these Spanish-speaking immigrants are coming in through the border. We need to build a wall 30 feet high so none of them will get in. Well, I'm not for open borders. I'm really not. But listen, folks, we have millions of Hispanic and Spanish-speaking peoples here. And now we have all these children coming into the country. If they're here... Let's reach them with the gospel. All right? Now, whether we have to have a tighter immigration policy or whatever, uh, I don't know where you stand, wherever, it doesn't matter. If they're here, let's reach them for Christ. You know, it's not about Chinese expansionism. It's not about terrorism in Somalia and terrorism in Nigeria and ter Islamic terrorism in the Philippines and Indonesia and Sudan or wherever you want to call it. It's not about that. Hudson Taylor said, the door of China is wide open, and there's a Niagara Falls of one million people a month going to hell in China. Now, you can look at the problem, and you can say, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. Those foreigners, that woman, that man, that child. Or you can look at it like Joshua did. Now, it's a very kind of unique way of looking at a problem. They cry out for help, and he says, we're there. Now, when somebody cries out for help to me, I want to say... I'm busy. 
Um, I'm tired. Um, let me talk to my wife about that, which is always a careful way of saying, I really don't want to do this, but I want to buy about a day so I can back out. Oh, it works the other way too, ladies. Let me talk to my husband about that, which means, no, sorry, don't want it. <clears throat> we don't say, your problem is my problem because I am committed to you. You are a heathen Hivite who sacrifices children who has sexual abominations of every size and shape imaginable, bestiality, sodomy, immorality, polygamy. And Joshua says, your battles are my battles, and I'm going to show you just how great my God is. Now, when we look at the world around us, and when you look at the problems that are that you've let into your life because you've covenanted yourself with someone. Do you look at that as God's opportunity to have a sun-stopping experience so that when the Son of God needs to be at midday and shine into their life for extra time, you're saying, I'm there. And the very strange thing about this, about Joshua, he's not only uh, ready and able, he's eager. And look what it says Look what the text says. Uh, In verse 7, Joshua ascended from uh, Gilgal, uh, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. The Lord said to Joshua, do not fear, I've delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. Okay, they got the message one day. They marched all night, 15 miles, uphill. I've walked it myself. It is not an easy walk. You know, you're, going, you're ascending about 4,000 feet. You've got army gear with you. You go up to Gilgal, and you're ready to fight some heathen battle. Now, for Israel, Gilgal's enemies just happen to be Israel's enemies, too. So he could, they could war together. Uh, but they didn't make excuses for themselves. Now, what many of us do when we make, have failure in our life and we've been to a worship service, we went to a conference, we went to a tent meeting, and then you come out of that tent meeting and all of a sudden you make this horrible mistake because you covenant yourself with somebody that you have no business to covenant yourself with. Most of us uh, get into the... Um, mode of God will never use me again. And if you're not the one who made the decision, but pastor made the decision, oh yeah, pastor made a treaty with the Gibeonites. Right? And then if you're the pastor, there's nobody that preaches harder against himself than the pastor. Am I not right, guys? I mean, we beat ourselves up. You know, uh, we want... We, we want to do the very best, and then when we make a mistake, and everybody else is reminding about us about it, Pastor, you know, you made that decision. You made that treaty with Gibeonites. That was a terrible mistake, right? Plus, you're 60 years old, uh, Joshua. What'd you do that for? I noticed it's a lot of the retirees sit on this side. Most of the young folks are on that side over there, but I know it's kind of like the, there's more gray heads over here, I think. <clears throat> you better be careful. You better be careful. Some of you... Uh, Joshua, he got called at 60. 
to lead battles. Abraham, he had Isaac at 100 years old and then went to Mount Moriah to sacrifice him at 113. Noah was called at 500 years old to build an ark, and he finished it when he was 600 years old. You know, some, some of you gray-haired people need to come out of retirement because I'm tired of looking at the young people over here and serving on the committees. I want to see some of you on the committees. And I know you don't drive at night. I'll come and pick you up. Listen, God, he uses the aged people who know how to war. And don't give me complaints that you have rheumatoid arthritis because Noah surely had some arthritis at 500 and he had to build a mighty big boat. He marched all night, and when he got there in the daytime, he didn't have enough daylight to do God's will. So he extended the day an extra 24 hours so we could get God's job done. Some of us just can't wait till church is over. We can't even make it through an hour. We don't want to serve on a committee because we might have to serve a few years, let alone like on the trustee board of the school where the commitment is like four years you know we don't want a long-term commitment we want a brief commitment joshua he not only is going to fight the heathen battle he's also going to make sure that there's daylight enough to get the job done and he's not going to quit before it's all done you know a lot of a lot of uh, Christian ethic today becomes casualness. Come to church if I want, maybe not. Maybe make a commitment, maybe not. Maybe if it's it three months, how, how long is my commitment now? Um, Nikki, um, how long am I going to have to watch the kids for? You know, is this going to be like th- three months or three weeks or like every other week? You know, uh, if there's a church volunteer thing or a school volunteer thing, uh, it's costly and we don't want that long-term commitment. The difference between real leadership and casual leadership is immense because a real leader says, listen, <clears throat> there's not enough daylight, so I got a cure for this. Son, stand still over Gibeah. Now, the son didn't stand over Jerusalem. He didn't say, son, stand still over Jerusalem. He didn't say, son, stand still over Gilgal or over Jericho. He said, son, stand still over my missionary expectations. Because the sunlight of the true God needs to shine on those who've never heard the gospel before. And the tenacity of a real leader is measured by when the battle comes, will they complete the battle or not? Are you uh, in a holding pattern? pattern with your um, failures, with your life because of your failures, Um, there's some grace that God wants to bestow upon you. Not only just grace to do the work of God, but to do a great work of God. And you know, it might be that you have failed miserably, and you even contractually obligated the, the your own particular um, group 
family, business, uh, civic organization, uh, small group, uh, into something that you never should have done, but now it's there. Now what? Now what will you do? Um, Will you say, you know what? Maybe God has me here anyway, and there's a missionary task that needs to be fulfilled right here, right now. It isn't next week. It isn't uh, in three years. It's right now because the person that you have aligned yourself with um, and who's been problematic and their sin is spilled into your life and is going to be there for the next 400 years. And, you know, the Gibeonites, they, 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 don't, they don't trust the true God after this. They remain heathenish for the next 400 years. But you know what? Now it's their own fault because they, they finagled in a scoundrel-like way to make a treaty with the people of God. And then when they saw the power of God, they never responded to what God was showing them. Now, you might be in some kind of uh, relationship with somebody, and you might share Christ with them, but that, and they might actually see the power of prayer that you yield in their life, that you yield in their life because the Lord gives you victory over them. But that's no longer your problem. That's theirs. When the sun stands still in their life, and they can see it in broad daylight, how he rescues, and then they refuse, well, then it's no longer uh, your responsibility. That's their responsibility. There's a very interesting phrase in uh, uh, verse 14. If you look at verse 14, it says, And there has been no day like that, before it or after it, that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Hollywood doesn't have all the tricks. God... can change the course of a life. And uh, there's no day like it. Um, I guess I look in my own life for uh, my Gibeon days. Sorry, I don't look at, at uh, today or being administrator of the, of the school as a, as a sun-stopping day. You know, when I see the revival of God's people and weeping and unrestrained praise and salvation uh, instead of media, um, electronics, uh, and evangelical uh, electronic hyperactivity, when I see the sun stop and it didn't happen because of electronics, then I know that God's at work. And then I'll know, and I hope I see it before I die, that the sun stands still over God's uh, heathen nation and heathen city. And I was a part of that. And I hope for this church, I hope we see 
the power of God and that we don't mistake sun-stopping power for the every, everyday Christianity, unfortunately, we don't prepare ourselves for that over the long term, that God, would, his spirit would be poured out into our lives. You know, Joshua, no day was ever like this day. How did it happen? How does a man get so much power that he says, sun, stand still, and it stops for 24 hours? I'd like you to turn to Exodus chapter 33, if you have a Bible, or if you have a phone. Turn to Exodus chapter 33. You know, it's obvious that the Lord... uh, The Lord is the one who made the sun stand still. But in Exodus chapter 33, this is what we read. Verse 10. We might have to go back a little bit further. Verse 8. And so it was, whenever Moses... This is at the base of Mount Sinai, okay? And leaving Mount Sinai, this was the the picture that's drawn. So whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose and each, one, each man stood at the door of his tent and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshiped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Joshua, the young man, he went up, he was one of the 12 spies, shortly thereafter, went up to assess the land and brought back a good report. I don't know how old Young is, maybe 20, maybe 30. This is 40 years later. He's saying to the sun, stand still. Well, how do you get to the place with God where you can actually change the course of nature? It happened 40 years ago when he made a conscious decision to glue himself to God's man and stayed with Moses and watched what he did and duplicated what Moses did. And then when Moses went back to his tent, he stayed there at the tabernacle because he knew where the power rested. The power that Moses had didn't come from his Egyptian education. His power came from meditation, not education. He did not depart from the tabernacle because that's where the cloud rested. Folks, we need to have a long-term approach that maybe in 40 years, God will put me in a place where I'll need to take uh, a withdrawal on the investment that I made for the past 40 years. 
that I'll be with God, learn who he is, learn what he's like, and so then when it comes time in the midst of the battle, I'm not a uh, private, I'm a general. The only way you get to this place in your life is by staying in the tabernacle. Joshua learned what he needed to learn how to do battle, not because he went to military school, but he was schooled by God. He learned that the Lord fights for us. He learned that he had to esteem others better than himself. And that when he made a promise with his word, he kept his word. <clears throat> How big is God's agenda? Um, are you not right now preparing for a 40-year journey that some, you young people, I'm talking mostly to you because a lot of the people I'm talking to in 40 years, they'll be dead and gone, and you'll have already had their memorial service. <clears throat> some of you young people, are you willing for the next 40 years to rest in the tabernacle so that when God's battle day comes, maybe even after a failure, that you'll be able to stop the sun to make sure that there's enough time that you can get done what God wants you to get done? Uh, God's looking for people who will be in his presence. He's not looking for great generals that are with all their fanfare and all of their pomp and circumstances are going to do a battle with human effort uh, because you can't defy the laws of nature. Uh, do you think Elijah and Elisha, when they took off the mantle and swatted the Jordan and it parted and, and all of the laws of nature went out the window, do you think they did that because they went to science school? When Jesus held the bread up of the five, the five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000 people, do you think he uh, went to baker's school? Um, did he create out of nothing? Hey, listen, uh, I, I, there's some implications for, for uh, our view of time. You might uh, read Stephen Hawking's book on his view of time, but... Uh, God's view of time is if he wants to stop it, if he wants to accelerate it, if he wants to create the world in six days and make it look like it was 300 million years or a billion years or whatever, he can make it do what he wants. If God can stop the earth's rotation so that the sun stands still in the middle, he can do whatever he wants. Right? Uh, do you think when fire came up out of the rock, it was kind of like an illusion? Or when, when uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, they re he rained... Uh, brimstone down on top of him, he fabricated it out of nothing. Right? God can do anything. He calls things that are not as though they are. Where do you get to, how do you get to that point in your life where, where you can see the miraculous power of God? Do you think you're going to learn it in seminary? I doubtless say you will probably not unless you take your seminary journey to be uh, tabernacle years where you're just going to be with God for your time in seminary. Because if you think you're going to get it from professors and taking exams and doing things like that, it's, uh, you're not going to learn the power of God that way. You learn it in the sanctuary. 
You know, in Psalm 73, where, where the psalmist is complaining about how come the wicked are prospering and I'm bankrupt and all these people are doing this and they're doing whatever they want and they seem to be rich and, and I'm, I'm doing everything correctly and, uh, and my life is so miserable. That's Psalm 73, in case you identify with this. In the middle, there's this tiny little phrase in Psalm 73. It says, then I went into the sanctuary of God and I understood their latter end. When you go into the sanctuary of God, then you understand what God is doing. Joshua's life, there was no time to go back to the sanctuary. The battle is heated. It needs to get done. He's called to vanquish the enemies of God because the land was vomiting out these people that were so vile and detestable. And for some reason, they end up with this treaty that should have never happened. They should have never covenanted themselves. Uh, with the people of the land. And you know what? There was never a day like that day. Um, some of you think your day is over, you know? Uh, but you need a victory just like Joshua needed a victory. He had made a miserable failure in front of all the people. He was supposed to be the great general. He was supposed to be the great leader, and he should have never done it. But you know, God gave him a victory, and God can give you a victory too. And it begins with believing that God is going to fight for you, and this isn't going to be your battle, but it's going to be the Lord's. God can do this for you, and there'll be, never be a day like that day uh, in your life. The sun is shining over that Gibeon mission field for you. Where is that? Who is that? Are you going to take authority over them? Now, you have these heathen in your life. You know, Joshua didn't say, hey, what God are you worshiping? Maybe I should worship that one. God took authority and he said, I'm going to fight this battle because I've committed myself and you're going to see just how great my God is. And my God is not your God, like it says in Deuteronomy. My rock is not their rock. Folks, our rock is not their rock. Our rock is the true rock. And people need to see that. And, and the closer you are to them and the more committed you are, maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your children, they need to see and you need to take authority over their battle and show them what God can do uh, in their life. <clears throat> God has stopped, um, God can stop this moment for you so that great things will happen and come out of your uh, mistakes. We're going to sing in closing, uh, his love never fails, it never gives up. You guys can come on up here and and get ready to sing. We're going to sing, his love never fails, he never gives up. Uh, Maybe you think that God has given up on you, but he has not. He's not given up on you. In fact, you could have the greatest day of your life because of the mistake you made. Not in spite of the mistake you made, but because of the mistake you made and because of a future commitment to what God can do, then uh, God will do something. But he's not going to do it without you moving forward as long as you think that you're going to fight the battle. I fought it for 10 years. I'll fight it for another 10 years. And you'll be miserable another 10 years. You will. You will. Uh, you should free yourself up from all that baggage and look to what God can do for you. Uh, 
today.